Hello and welcome to The Grid Podcast, our podcast about the electricity networks across the UK and how they're at the heart of our transition to net zero. I'm Brian Murhead, Grid Connection Manager for eSmart Networks in the host seat today, and I'm joined by our Technical Director, David McDonald. If you want to say hello, David. Hey, Brian. Good to be back. And today we are talking about a big topic that is right across the industry at the minute, and that is transmission capacity. And I think just about any developer uh, or investor in the renewable or battery space uh, will have learned a lot about transmission capacity probably in, in the last year or so. I think so. There's been plenty of articles about it and it's a, a hot topic in the industry at the minute. Yeah. And there's a lot of different misunderstandings out there, I think. I think there's a lot of confusion around why this is impacting pretty much any uh, renewable project or battery storage project today. Uh, and we thought, well, let's pick through it, uh, break it down. Let's do a bit of a summary on, on what the issue is. Uh, look at the challenges and, and look at some of the solutions then. Yeah, no, sounds good. And this is maybe going to be our first run of a mini series. Is that right? Well, I, th I think basically when we sat down to think about this topic, it is so huge. There's so many strands to it. Uh, we're going to try and break it down then into, yeah, let's, let's do a mini series uh, of little short episodes, break it into kind of nice, easy chunks uh, for people to digest. So we will start with a bit of an introduction, a bit of scene setting, uh, cover some of the background around the transmission network, how it dif differentiates itself from the distribution network, how it interfaces and works with or doesn't work with the distribution system uh, to give that kind of background because some, some listeners uh, will be more familiar with transmission connections. Some won't have any experience with them. You know, most developers, investors, basically anybody, you know, daily people in our daily lives only ever really come into contact with the distribution system. Yeah. No, there's a lot of different players there, so I think it'll be good to get those kind of ironed out and understand where all the moving parts are, which would be great. Yeah, so we'll we'll cover we'll cover a bit just a bit of background on the transmission network, uh, a bit around what you know, just high level why why these issues are now occurring uh, on our transition to net zero, and then we'll break it down and do a bit of a deeper dive in our follow on episodes in the mini series as to what those challenges are. Uh, we're probably going to break them down into two categories, one sort of process-related challenge and, and the other around the technical or the engineering challenges, uh, and then looking at some of the solutions that are being progressed across the industry at the minute. And and that is, just before we go any further, it is worth saying, uh, National Grid are, are kind of stepping up to the mark now with a lot of solutions. They are progressing a lot of different work streams uh, to try and fix this. Everybody is aware this is a big issue. Uh, and then at the, basically at the very end, we're going to round it all off by giving you our tech on, you know, if, if you're an investor or a, a developer in the renewable or battery space, or maybe you're an engineer working, working in the space as well that's interested or yeah, just anybody from regulation or, or, or in, anywhere involved in, in the energy sector, basically a bit of advice from us on our tech of, well, what does this mean for you? Uh, how should you plan your your business around this? Um, how should you be looking at connecting your projects that you're developing in 2023, and and what do you need to plan for? Um, so so yeah, I think sounds like a good plan. Um, do you want to get into it? So what what is the problem then? What is the problem with the transmission network or the connections? So basically, the problem in a nutshell is if you want to develop a new solar farm, wind farm, battery storage project today anything about over a megawatt. So you, you could be a community energy scheme. You could be an industrial park owner who's just looking to add a couple of megawatts solar to help decarbonize your, your carbon footprint. 
Um, or you could be a large scale developer who, you know, develops uh, greenfield sites, whether it be battery or, or wind or, or solar or whatever, you are going to be affected. And basically this is going to be one of your biggest challenges. Yeah. Um, Cause like the industry kind of initial thinking would be transmission capacity means a huge big connection as in terms of a 50 megawatt solar farm, hundred megawatt solar farm, but it's, it's impacting further down. We'll get into the detail, but it's, it can right across all projects. Yeah, so like I suppose historically that you would have had that hundred megawatt threshold where um, the kind of the Vega, I'll not go into that, but where you would have had bilateral agreements with with National Grid, uh, you know, if if you were connected at uh, distribution level. But obviously, we've got to the point now where even you know, if you're a one megawatt solar farm, um, there is a transmission capacity kind of issue or interface that you kind of need to be aware of. Uh, so basically, in, in a nutshell, if 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 any of the if you're in any of the above categories. You're you're most likely to be getting back connection dates of 2020 at best. Uh, I think probably most people at this stage would be quite glad to see 2028, as probably most dates are coming back in 2030, 2035, 2038 in some cases. Yep. So mid to late 2030s, depending on where you are across GB. I suppose. I mean, it's important to say these are for like future projects and like. That all the projects that are already in line, in tow, in construction that have offers, they're building out and connecting. So this is looking at app, applying now, and what does that look like ten years from now? Then isn't that right? Yeah, basically. So obviously, there's a lot, there's a lot of projects out there that have their connections secured, will be building out. This is mainly focused on if you, if you're looking at a new project today, or perhaps you know probably quite a few people who have applied to to distribution level in the last kind of year probably will, will be finding that they're affected by this some maybe even the last kind of two years um again it, it is worth checking if, if you have a, a project where the application went into the dno in the last two years you you definitely want to just double check that that statement of works or project progression transmission you know there's a lot of industry lingo but effectively that transmission uh, capacity okay so what i mean back to basics what what is the cause and how's how's those networks run yeah, so effectively the technical issue we're talking about here is the distributed gener generation across the GB network has just become so fast that it's pushing power back up through onto the transmission network. So it's effectively transmission networks like your motorway system uh, across the UK and it's the volume of traffic at all the little local levels has now got so great you have this rush of uh, you know cars, for want of a better analogy, up onto the motorway network and you've got gridlock on, on your stand. motorway. Now, I say that that is that's the engineering, you know, technical rationale behind it. But as we unpick this, there is a big question as to well, how much of this is actually a real network capacity congestion issue, issue and how much of it is just a queuing and process so issue. You, so you're sort of saying like virtual cars and real cars, are yeah, you? Yeah. So how, how how much of this is you know it is predicting that. Uh, that congestion how much of it is actually true congestion on the network okay so that 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 is a point worth bearing in mind and that'll feed into some of the solutions that, that national grid and, and and others are progressing so that that's a, a very basic analogy um that the, the the large power lines that you see the big tower circuits um are starting to get congested just with the sheer amount of and volume of, of distributed energy and i suppose we're seeing this now in gb um, for the likes of ourselves that have background in in the Northern Ireland and Irish power sector, you know th this was happening in in Ireland seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Yep. A much smaller system, much higher levels of renewable penetration. You know, 
island of Ireland's in around the 40 to 50% of annual electricity consumption from variable renewables. Uh, any kind of developers that have been active in on the island of Ireland will, will be relatively familiar with this type of issue. Yeah. And, and um, I suppose there's learnings to be taken even from what, you know, was done in Ireland uh, and the Ireland system across to GB as well. So like, it's, it's not that this can't be solved. There's plenty that we can do to make it better. And, and even just on a fundamental level, I know we don't want to get into locational um, signals and all that kind of good stuff, but load beside generation kind of does away with a bit of this issue as well, doesn't it? Because like ultimately a transmission network is transmitting it from A to B. And if you only have to go a very short distance or your the, lo the load and the generation are co-located, then that, that really does sort of help solve some of that too. Yeah, and I think uh, trying to use generation, you know, renewable generation on site um, is, is, is one of the kind of key ways of, of maybe unlocking a few projects if, if there is certain circumstances. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that at, at, at later down the podcast. Yeah, I'm too excited. Yeah, yeah, you're jumping ahead of yourself. Um, so uh, we'll get to what, what, we, what ways to work around things. Um, I think then as well, so just to cover a bit of the background and the scene setting, um, if you look at basically a national grid map online, it'll pretty much tell you what a lot of renewable developers will know. Uh, pretty much every sub, you know, grid supply point substation across uh, the UK or Great Britain in particular, predicted connection dates, you know, are 2027 at the very earliest, right out to sort of 2037, 2038 plus. Um, and and that's that varies a little bit depending on where you are around the country. The you know the best kind of dates for for generation are, are close to London, but obviously you know who's developing a wind farm in the middle of London, um, and that kind of comes counter to your yeah, point yeah, around location totally. as well. You know, so obviously there there are just some physical restrictions that, that nobody's ever going to overcome. So as well for part of the background, I do think it is worth noting that this is all taking place in the context of the biggest revolution we've seen in our in our electricity and energy systems since you know they were probably originally rolled yep. out, uh, where the pace of change towards renewable sources of and electrified energy use is faster than we, and larger than we've ever seen, and it really has reached supercharged levels, which which is great. It's great to see the appetite out there to electrify energy generation and also to electrify energy usage as well and transition everything towards that net zero world. But it is a monumental engineering challenge. And I think it is just worth noting that before we, we delve into some of the nitty gritty. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's a, it's a completely different world than the industry that I joined, you know, and I'm not as old as maybe I look. So yeah, in the last, certainly in the last five years, it really has gathered such momentum and, and it's great, a great industry to be involved in. Um, and it brings, brings to the fore some solution solvers and problem solvers now as well which is great from an engineer's perspective i think just to kind of highlight that i seen a quote from the national grid ceo and i'm just gonna uh apologies i'm just gonna read it verbatim off the off my notes here uh he said we will need to build about seven times as much infrastructure in the next seven or eight years than we built in the last 32 and i think that you know that quote in itself that need to build seven times as much infrastructure in the next seven or eight years than we built in the last 32, that there is a there is a monumental engineering challenge ahead of everybody um, yep. across the energy sector here. Okay, so let's get into a bit of detail on this then. Um, what about connections, developers with distribution connections, knock-on effect to the transmission system? How does that all work its way through? Yeah, okay. So, so some people listening might be quite familiar with this, but we're, we're going to just sort of maybe step it through just in case some people aren't. 
Um, so loads of people will be familiar with distribution connections. It's a fairly, I was going to say fairly straightforward process. It's a fairly well-known process. It's quite well standardized across the ENA and you kind of, you normally deal with one party, the, the distribution network operator. So what's basically happening is the distribution network operator is connected to the transmission system. The transmission system is now starting to creak a little bit because there's so much uh, capacity or huge capacity to get onto the transmission system. So basically at the minute, if you apply for anything more than a megawatt, uh, pretty much anywhere in the UK, the distribution network operator has to refer that to the transmission system operator for them to basically check, you know, what's going on in the transmission system and potentially identify transmission works and then come back to the DNO. Yeah, for renewable connections and battery storage as well. For renewable and battery storage. Yep. And and uh, we're now starting to see actually affect demand connections as well, but that's, that's probably a different podcast for a different day. So um, so let's just, uh, just to recap, distribution network operators, they're the people that bring the electricity right into your house, you know, operate from low voltage right up to 132 kV. There's seven regional DNOs, distribution network operators, DNOs for short. Uh, and there, there is then one transmission system operator who is uh, National Grid, ESO. And then you've got three transmission asset owners, uh, NGET for England and Wales, which is National Grid uh, Electricity Transmission. And then you've got SPT and SSE Transmission in Scotland. The, the seven DNOs typically follow very standardized connection processes and policies which are governed by standardized distribution licenses and also efforts by the Electricity Network Association to really standardize a lot of policy and process. So I know some developers might be sitting laughing when I say this. It is a relatively standardized process, no matter what DNO you go to. There is quite a lot of uh, process, policy and guidelines set out by the ENA that standardizes it across all the DNOs. And I think you probably recognize that 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 has come about through a huge amount of work by the ENA. Uh, and totally. The I mean, the Open Networks Project has done a huge amount of work in bringing all the sort of DNOs together and, and coming up with those standardized processes, taking the best from from each company and and trying to standardize and have like a best practice guide, which a lot of the, lots of the DNOs are following now, which it makes, you know, it makes a big difference for developers here, you know, one day in Yorkshire and the next day in Wales. Yeah, exactly. And the key thing just... The reason I'm sort of setting that up then, the key thing to note then is National Grid are a party to the ENA, but they sit in a totally different license and regulatory framework. Um, so a, a lot of the processes and, and everything that's been established by the ENA applies only at distribution level. Most of it doesn't read across to, to transmission level. And a lot of that's historic too, isn't it? Because like, you know, we used to joke in terms of, you know, when you're in a distribution network and you have thousands of customers in your transmission network, you've got like... Not you can count them in your hands or whatever. You know, like it's a it's a different it's a sort of whole different process now in terms of that connection to a transmission. Where it, you know, it, you know, it didn't used to be that there would be very many applications going through that process in in, a, in any t any type of regular basis. Yeah. So if you think like anybody connected to the transmission system used to basically consist of the DNOs with their grid supply point substations, and then you know handfuls of large thermal uh, nuclear gas or, or coal power stations yeah. which you know you, you could probably count on well like an excel spreadsheet or something yeah maybe not enough fingers but um so th there didn't need to be much process around that you know you had sort of once in a blue moon uh, that somebody was connecting uh, and obviously that has now exploded 
there's been an absolute avalanche uh, through all the great interest in developing renewables and battery storage. Uh, and I think at the minute there's over a thousand generators in the transmission queue looking for direct transmission connections on top of the many, you know, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands at distribution yeah. level. So that has kind of come out of the blue at, at national grid. You, you could argue that they should have predicted it uh, with, with renewable targets and everything else. Um, but, but in any case, that's kind of come into a system that was geared up to process, you know, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen connections a year. Well, it wouldn't even like have thousands of connections yeah. now at the minute. Like, Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really helpful scene setter, Brian. Um, gives a real clear view of transmission distribution systems, how they all kind of interact together. So what are the key problems or challenges, you know, or, or what are the solutions to get this moving uh, and to try and make some progress uh, towards net zero and the targets that have been set? Yeah, so we'll cover we'll cover some of the, the challenges, solutions, just very high level now, um, just to give a bit of a flavor. And then in one of our follow-up episodes in, in the in the mini-series, let's call it, um, we can delve into these a bit deeper. So I've kind of split them up into kind of two categories. So process-related and then sort of more technical or engineering-related. So to deal with the, the process-related challenges first, um, we obviously have this issue where connection process is not aligned between distribution and transmission. So effectively, you've got an inflow of uh, generation or battery storage projects uh, through that distribution. Yep. They apply to the distribution operator. They then have to make a, a secondary application back to the transmission network operator to find out you know, what the transmission impact is. There's a connection offer comes back to the DNO and then they come and inform the, the developer. And we're seeing that that process, I, I've seen it take as long as 18, 24 months. That's it, crazy. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a developer's maybe accepted an offer by a DNO and the DNO's maybe sat on it for, for 12 to 18 months before they have then submitted it to the transmission network operator. Yep. And that creates a lot of connection queuing challenges. And it'll come back, you know, we will come back to this later um, where, you know, I was saying, is the problem actually the network's technically overloaded or is it? Is it a bit of a mess in the whole connection queue and, and more of a processing? And well, the answer is probably somewhere in between. Yep. Back to just what I was saying. So that that obviously then brings disadvantages to distribution connected customers as well, because uh, they don't get a queue position in the transmission capacity world until the DNOs made that application and followed that process through. So their original application date isn't relevant in the transmission queue. Exactly. So it, it then falls more to when the DNO has submitted their application. And normally the DNO will group a few applications together, you know, to make the process more efficient uh, before they submit to National Grid. So um, nearly like a batch process, they nearly kind of working it that way, they, like they, sort of to try and... Batch them up and yep, submit them in, them. yeah. And, and this is one area where different DNOs have different approaches to this. You know, some DNOs are, you know, trying to rig rigorously implement, you know, submit the, the next batch every three months. Some are taking a lot longer. Yep. And then obviously... Well, know, while that's going on, is there... A pilot application is going into National Grid for transmission connections. So that is your other inflow of connections is direct into into transmission level. So obviously, um, you know, if you're sitting there in the, in the DNO's pile for, for 18 months waiting for them to submit you to grid, the, the activity at grid level of people just going directly with, you know, 500 megawatt, gig, one gigawatt applications direct into transmission, that's happening fast and furiously. So you're you're getting bumped way down that queue. What, while while you're sat in the DNO's desk, yeah. so that there's an issue there in terms of process and how that process aligns 
uh, there's been a lot of talk around joint up connection cues and trying to standardize like because uh, at transmission level as well your queue position isn't defined by application date even if you are direct uh, applicant to okay. transmission uh, it's defined on oh i can't remember now it's it's either the date you get the offer or the date you accept the, i think it's the date you accept the offer okay um so again there's even little nuances there around yeah so that process. adds in another bit in terms of however long national grid tech to get that back out and then i suppose different clients will have different processes in terms of accepting an offer and, and paying for an offer some will have a an investment process they have to go through others will be able to do that quicker and dnos will have different processes in terms of accepting the, the offer that comes back to them from yeah. national grid as well and, and how they divvy out the securities and liabilities and things as well so again i'll maybe just focus on maybe trying to get through a few of these more yep. at a high level and, and we will delve into them uh, but just as another example of, of process alignment or, or misalignment uh, at distribution level, uh, developers will be very familiar that you need to have a, a letter of authority from a landowner and a defined land boundary to show that you have a real product. You know, you've got land to build your solar farm or battery or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, which which makes sense. At transmission level, that isn't a requirement. So I could go in tomorrow with a five giga, you know, a five gigawatt application, and book up that capacity for you know not a lot of money really without any prospect of me having any land or a feasible project there so this is kind of back to that virtual car real car scenario what actually is real bona fide projects that are well shovel ready or yeah are, are, are going to progress as opposed to speculative well it'd be nice to have five gig there yeah exactly so you can kind of see where i was going with asking that question you know is there actual technical network issues here or as part of it this kind of yeah. gridlock of a queue trying to get into the system we'll see on that so in terms of volume then what sort of levels of volume are these applications you know like is it 10 gigawatts or is it thousands of gigawatts what where are we at so i am going to refer to my notes on this one uh to get the numbers kind of right so um yeah at the minute on the transmission connection uh, transmission entry capacity register to give it its full name there's over a thousand generators in that queue i think it's over 330 gigawatts that value will be out of date as soon as this podcast published that that 330 330 gig, that is huge it, it, it's probably already 340 or 350 by, by the time we've we've even recorded this uh, and about 75 gigawatts so that's already connected i think 70 somewhere between 75 or 200 i, I can't remember exactly um, so there, there's a huge queue to connect there with accepted offers, and that is increasing day and daily. And then I think roughly speaking, there's another 70 to 80 gigawatts in the distribution queues below that, which is additional. Okay. So, and so max demand and GB system sort of 50 to 60 gig, is it something like that from so, memory? Somewhere around that. So max peak system demand on, on a cold winter's night in GB, it's I think it's in around the 55 gigawatts, somewhere between 50 and 60 gigawatts. So, and you we're sitting with you know probably a queue of generation to connect somewhere in the region probably 400 gigawatts uh ish at the minute so you know just to put the whole thing in context you know that 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 is quite quite a big queue um to look at national grid's future energy scenarios in terms of net zero and where we're going and how much renewable generation we need uh, i think national grid in round i can't remember if it's 2030 or the early 2030s they're predicting is it that we'll need about 150 to 200 gigawatts of capacity and then by 2050 it's in the region of 300 to 350 gigawatts depending on what scenario plays out yeah. so and those scenarios look at things like electrification of heat transport incorporates all of that into it and yep. it's kind of right in in a net zero world what, what what is our generation mix and how much capacity do we need 
So just to, you know, by 2050, they're saying it's in the region of 300 to 350 gigawatts. Well, we probably already have that in the queue. You know, if, if, if it's real. Yeah. So this comes back to that point. Yeah. But if everything in the queue was yeah. to connect, we, we could probably meet our 2050 targets. But that that is the big caveat. Well, how much of that is real? How much of it has no prospect of getting land or getting planning? You know, we know there's going to be big attrition rates here. Yep. And and that that bit around attrition rate, that will feed into some of the technical solutions that National Grid are progressing. So we, we will come back to that piece okay. as well. So a, a big question is, how you know, when you fact, factor in the attrition rate, how big does that queue actually need to be to, to hit 2050? Is the attrition rate 50% or, or you know, yep. what, what is it? So, so that's a bit interesting in a way. Um, and yeah, that really feeds into that piece around, well, how much of this is this queue and, and speculative projects sort of gumming up the system and, you know, is it actually a hard capacity problem at this stage? And I think when you're talking about those volumes, it, it is likely that it's both, isn't it? You know, in, in stages, it'll be an element of both. It, it will be, yeah. So, and, and that's, and we, that is, we'll come to that then in the solutions because the solutions cover both. It yeah. covers trying to weed out the speculative applications, but also then trying to be smarter with the actual network capacity as well. So it's trying to free up from both ends a, a bit. Yeah. Um, and what about those technical challenges and like high level summary of those? What what are they? Yeah, so that that's kind of the, the kind of the process stuff covered at a high level, and, and we'll delve deeper into it in in a future episode. In terms of technical engineering challenges, um, one of the big ones has been battery storage, the the, the battery boom. Uh, I think between hybrid projects and and battery only projects, there's something in the region of eighty gigawatt kind of pipeline of of batteries in the connection queue. Yeah, more than the actual peak demand. Yeah, exactly. Huge, yeah, yeah. massive, um, yeah. crazy. So uh, there's been a significant kind of boom in batteries, both both at transmission and distribution level, which again, it is really great to see the market interest in this uh, and the investor kind of capital stepping up to the mark for net zero. Yep. Um, so, so that it is a good problem to have. And batteries can be a key enabler. So, so this, this is it. This is the point exactly. You know, everybody expected batteries to come on and help the grid. The issue is uh, basically there's what's called connection planning assumptions, CPAs for short, and that's basically what the rules that National Grid use to model out their network. Yep. And effectively, as it stands at the minute, when they're modeling batteries, they have to model the battery importing power at its peak, at a peak import period. So at the, say, a tea time peak, they're modeling that the 50 megawatt battery is importing 50 megawatt of power which obviously puts huge pressure on that on that local grid and, and probably the wider transmission grid in that area as well. Now, I think that everybody raises an eyebrow at that and they're like, why would a battery import at the most expensive period in the day yep. at the period that also breaks the grid? So I, we'll touch on solutions, but National Grid have done a lot of work with battery developers and, and, and basically they're going to change how they model batteries then and, and change those assumptions. So that in itself will unlock capacity. Uh, how much is a big question, and again, we'll, we'll we'll delve into that a bit when we come to it uh, in one of the future episodes. Okay, perfect. Okay, so that's a summary then of the technical issues. We at high level, yep. we have summarised some of the process issues. Maybe and a wee bit more detail, but that'll come later again. And then we we we'd already give a sort of an overview of transmission distribution, how that all all operates together. So, in terms of what's next for us, that's kind of episode one, scene setter. That's how we're going. What's what's coming down the line now? Yeah, so uh, to break it up then, in our next episode, 
probably across two episodes, we'll jump into some of those process related issues in a bit more detail. So I'd say we'll do the next episode, probably focus on the processy and the kind of queue stuff. And I'm working so like out. time stamp and date stamp and putting. <laughs> well, we'll not, that, no, maybe, maybe not get, get that, that far. far. Okay. But anyway, uh, so, th- you know, things that we'll cover uh, is the, the tech amnesty that National Grid has out. Um, that's been extended into April, as far as I'm aware, uh, which is basically allowing people to leave the transmission queue for free. There normally would be penalties and, and things associated with it. Uh, new queue management milestones that they're bringing in through a cusk mod, uh, two, a new two-stage transmission connection offer process. Um, so, you know, there's, there's lots going on. They are genuinely trying to move things forward and move the dial on this. Well, they're good to hear some of those solutions. Exactly. And probably one of the key things for anybody looking to invest or develop projects is, is mainly time scales for some of these solutions and what is the likelihood of it, you know, having a positive impact on people. Yep. And, and we will... We'll look to wrap up on on some of that and, and our views and some of that as well and then in terms of the technical solutions around the the connection planning assumptions the cpas how national grid are changing how they model batteries uh, and some of that stuff as well alongside um some of the local technical solutions that are deploying through the the re- regional development plans rdps for short where um basically it's a process that allows the dno and the, and the transmission system operator to kind of team up on a local area at a GSP level and, and look at bespoke technical solutions for that GSP. So we'll, we'll talk a little about a, a little bit about that and, and where that's got to when we cover the technical solution piece. Perfect. We do love a three-letter abbreviation though in the industry, don't we? Yeah, I'm trying to avoid it as much <laughs> as I can. You've tech and DNO and uh, yeah, everything else. And, and yeah, so basically, this is all stuff. You know, I think if if you're investing in renewables or battery storage, if you're developing it, if you know, it might even be useful to know if, if you're an engineer in the industry as well, whether you're in a, in a DNO or or whatever. Um, so we'll cover all that and, and then we'll try and pull it all together in a bit of a summary in terms of mainly focus probably for, for investors or developers or those kind of people trying to come into the industry with, with solar and wind and, and battery projects. A bit of a summary of, well, how is this going to impact you? You know, when are these, when do we think these solutions might come online? What do we expect the impact to be? Uh, and and where does this you know where does this sit in your business plans? But if you're you're looking to develop renewable and, and battery storage projects in 2023 and beyond, and a lot of it's being informed, isn't it? Actually, understanding the process, what's it going to look like, and then you can put set a plan in place and and deliver against that, as opposed to well, a big part of this is you know National Grid and the DNOs they do need you know the the bigger pool of people that understand what's going on and can participate constructively with them. You know, I, I know some of the DNOs have been quite vocal saying, look, we, we do need your industry's help on this. Uh, you know, please, you know, join us constructively. Um, you know, to quote one sort of senior member from a, a DNO at one of the forums I was at, you know, he did say, look, like they really want to get people connected, but it probably isn't going to happen at the speed everybody wants it to or that they want it to, but it, it's just going to take industry and the DNOs and everybody sort of working together to kind of push through this. Yeah, so I think uh, on that note, We'll just thank everybody for listening. Uh, we will be doing the f- follow-up episodes in this mini-series in the coming weeks, uh, as we said. Please do subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also ask us any questions. Uh, we're very keen to hear any feedback, get any questions, any ideas for future episodes. Uh, please do. You can comment on YouTube. You can comment on LinkedIn. Uh, or you can email thegrid at esmartnetworks.co.uk as well. Uh, and we will pick that up. So thanks very much, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, everybody.